Good morning. In 2 Samuel 15, we read about Absalom. He is the son of King David, and he has a coup against his father. He subverts David's name in Israel so that in verse 6 of that chapter, it actually reads, So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. David ends up fleeing from Absalom for his life. David's own son seeks his throne and seeks his life. He flees his palaces. He flees his comfortable life. He flees to the wilderness. He actually is mocked by his detractors on the way out of town. Literally, he is ridiculed by those who are opposed to him as he and his followers leave Jerusalem. And the ark is left in Jerusalem. David is away from the dwelling place of God. He's in a dry and weary land, as verse 1 of our psalm describes it. And it is in this context, away from the chosen dwelling place of God, in a dry and weary land, that we actually get to see the heart of David that he has for God. It comes to light in Psalm 63. And so we could ask a question, what does the heart of a man after God's own heart look like? Today we get to see that up close and personal. In the psalm that we're going to look at today, we get to have a front row look at the man after God's own heart. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Psalm 63. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you that the subtitle will tell us that this is a Psalm of David, and it's when he was in the wilderness of Judah. In verse 11 of this Psalm, he actually refers to himself as the king. So this lets us know that the setting is right here what we were describing. It's not when Saul was chasing him and he was in the wilderness, because Saul was the king at that time. At this point, the king is in the wilderness because his son Absalom is taking his throne and is chasing his life. David is in a dry and weary land without water. I know. I know that there are some here this morning who are in a dry and weary land. There are some of you who are going through trials harder than you can express. You might not even be able to explain it to the person who's sitting behind you. The best you had this morning was to show up. When everyone was singing, your voice was quiet. Your voice was weak. But as you show up this morning, know that you are seated next to David as the Spirit pins these words through him in Psalm 63. You are in a dry and weary land, but this is your psalm. This sermon is for you 
This psalm is for each one of us here. So look at verse 1 with me, if you would. While David is fleeing for his life, look at what he writes. Oh God, you are my God. David is sitting in a dry and barren wilderness. He's fleeing for his life and has barely escaped death. And the only reason he actually has not died is because God has thwarted Absalom so that he would follow poor advice and not chase David down and kill him. And at the lowest time of his life, having lost all his earthly comfort, with a pen in hand, David pours out his heart onto this parchment and writes, O God, O Elohim, you are my God. O God, the world around me, it worships that which is not a God, but you are my God. Some trust in strength and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of war, but you are my God. Some trust in resources and abundant crops and worship Baal-Hadad or Dagon, these deities of fertility, but I worship Elohim. Some have obsessions with multiplying gold or horses or wives, but I passionately pursue and trust in Elohim. You are my God. And even though I'm running in the wilderness for my life, and even though I have last lost all that I have, you, God, are my God. Now, last week, Pastor Randy taught us that for the believer in this life, you will have trouble. And we saw last week that in this life, you should expect trouble and tribulations. It is through many tribulations that you will enter the kingdom of God. And that the one who bears much fruit is the one who, through the trouble, clings fast to God and endures and presses presses on to the end. So, brothers and sisters, Psalm 63 is a picture of a man of God pressing on and enduring to the end. David, in spite of the trials he's experiencing in life, in spite of it being abandoned in the wilderness, David clings tight to God and his word, saying, O God, you are my God. This is the theme. This is the big idea of Psalm 63, that a passionate worship of God directs all aspects of your life in all circumstances of your life. So stand and read Psalm 63 with me, if you would. Psalm 63, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land without water. Thus I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. 
Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will laud you. Thus, I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with fatness and richness, and my mouth offers praises with lips of joyful song. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a portion for foxes, but the king will be glad in God. And everyone who swears by him will boast. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be closed. Pray with me as I pray from Psalm 119. Deal bountifully with us, your servants, that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. We are sojourners on the earth in need of your help. Reveal your truth to us through your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, our rock and our redeemer. You may be seated. In Psalm 63, David shows us that a passionate worship and pursuit of God directs all aspects of your life in all circumstances of your life. By studying the cry of David's heart being lifted up to God, we find three life traits that are present in a passionate pursuit of God. You must Thirst for God in your worship. You must cling to God in your weakness. And you must trust in God in your waiting. So let's go ahead and dive in. So we've already discussed the setting that this is a Psalm of David. And it's when he was in the wilderness of Judah when David is fleeing Absalom. And we've already seen David's thesis statement, which is David's heart's cry. Oh God, you are my God. Now, this statement, this is actually the key to understanding the rest of this psalm. Every line that follows after this first statement is expounding on the truth of, Oh God, you are my God. And I'm convinced that every line in this psalm is best understood as this statement, You are my God, as it is being lived out and played out in the real trials and the real lives of David. So, as a point of application, before we even get started, as we walk through this psalm, I want you to ask yourself, do I live my life as, oh God, you are my God? Ask yourself, what I see in David's heart, is this reflected in my heart? The way that David worships, do I worship this way? David's perspectives on life, are these my perspectives? And with those questions on your mind, let's look at verse 1 
and how he follows that statement. He says, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land without water. So look at how David describes himself. Having just stated that God is his, is, is his God, he says, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. And each of these statements, they're really stating the same truth. It's adding depth upon depth of our understanding, helping us understand really how David is feeling at this point. There's not really a single word or adjective or just one phrase that can explain and express the depths of what David is feeling. So it's as though he's saying, let me paint a picture in your mind. And I'm going to give you three different ways of stating what I am feeling right now. He says, I shall seek you earnestly. And that phrase, seek you earnestly, it's actually just one word in the Hebrew. And it means to look, look early and diligently for something. And a cross-reference using the same verse or the same word is actually in Proverbs 18, or Proverbs 8, I'm sorry, where we read that those who earnestly seek wisdom will find her. Or all the parents in the room are familiar with Proverbs 13, verse 24, that says, He who holds back his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him with diligence. And so a literal translation is, He who loves him seeks him earnestly and early on. So you seek to discipline your child in an early and earnest manner. A loving parent must earnestly and early on discipline their child. And that's why some translations actually translate in Psalm 63, and it's actually a song that many of us know as well, I will seek you in the morning. That's looking at the early aspect of this word. So I seek you earnestly has this connotation of searching at dawn, searching at first light, Searching as soon as your eyes are just being able to make out shapes in the dark morning. This is when David seeks God so earnestly. He is anxious for the first rays of the sun so that he can begin his careful search to find God, his God. And this is actually the exact same charge that God has against both Israel and Judah. In Hosea, Hosea 5.15, God says that after their exiles, in their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. This is the word that David uses. And so God's purpose in the exiles of his people was so that they would grow to have the same heart for God that David has for God. David earnestly, diligently, at first light, seeks Elohim, his God. But notice how else David describes the earnest seeking of God. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. 
And by both of these terms, the thirsting and the yearning, it, this reflects this burning desire that David has. It's this need. And you think about what is thirsting. It's this craving of the body for water. This water, it's the single most important element for sustaining life of any living creature. And to thirst or to yearn, yearn is literally to faint with longing. So David seeks earnestly, seeks early. He thirsts and yearns and craves for God. And notice too, though, how he describes himself in doing the yearning. He says, I seek you. My flesh yearns for you. My soul thirsts for you. Simply, all that I am seeks and thirsts for you, my God. My soul, that which is the spirit, thirsts for you. My body, that which is physical, it yearns for you. And so David desires God with all that he has and all that he is, his physical and his spiritual. But this is the same way, if you think about it, that God calls each one of his people to love him. We should all be familiar with Deuteronomy 6, 5, where it says, you shall love Yahweh your God, how? With all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might. And so if you think about it, one who loves God with all of their heart, their soul, their might, they will yearn for God and thirst for God and seek earnestly after God. We must know this and recognize that what we see in David, it is not unique among God's people. It is not only the super holy that are to experience this. All God's people are to love God with their whole being. All God's people, each of us, both David and you, should yearn and thirst and seek earnestly after God. At dawn's first light, seek him, open his word, be with and pray to God, your God. So let me show you something, though, that's even more amazing about David's yearning after God. He says, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land without water. Here's what is great. If you have ESV, you're going to see as in a dry and weary land, meaning this is a poetic picture he's painting. This is David thirsting for God as one in a dry and weary land might thirst for water. But the New American Standard, Russ's King James Version, the NIV, the LSB, they're all going to actually have a more literal translation. They're going to say that all of David's thirsting and his yearning for God happen while he is in the dry and weary land. So, and this is the way the Hebrew text reads. It says, David's thirsting for God is happening in a dry and weary land. Where David is right now, he is literally in a dry and weary land without water. 
or the NIV, the way it reads, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And here's why this is so important to notice and understand. David is running for his life. He is in a dry and parched land, and he has every right to say, I'm exhausted. I'm parched, just like this land. I thirst, just like this land. Oh, and in addition to this, I also thirst for God. David would be right to say that, but that's not what he says. Because God is David's God, David is able, able to say, even though that my circumstances are miserable and I'm in this dry and weary land without water, my first and foremost thirst is for God, my God. Even though my flesh is undoubtedly thirsty, my soul thirsts for God. And the yearn of my flesh is yearning for God. My body is yearning, but it's not for the water that one day would leave me to be thirsty again. My body is yearning for God. My soul is thirsty, thirsty for the one who said, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst, ever but the water that I give him will become in him a well of living water, springing up to eternal life. Christ said those in John 4. David's yearning and his thirsting for God is not dependent upon his circumstances. So here's a question. How can David say his body is yearning for God when his body is so miserable at this point? And again, is this just poetic imagery to show how much he really loves and longs for God? No. He is actually being very biblically and theologically correct when he says his body is yearning and thirsting for God. To say that my failing body yearns for God, this is just simply what Paul even mirrors. And so if you flip over for a few minutes to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, here's what we're going to read. Paul is going to be talking about the body, the failing, decaying body that we have. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, our body, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that that which is mortal, again, our bodies, will be swallowed up by life. And he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. So in this passage, we, say, we see that God has planned and purposed that the groaning and the longing for release and relief from our body, that our bodies feel, it should actually drive us 
to longing for God, and it should drive us to longing for our eternal home. He has prepared us, verse 5, for this very purpose. So the response that we see in David, this is the response that each one of us should have in our own lives. This is the response of someone who is pressing on and clinging to God in faith. So to apply this to us, when you experience trials and physical hardships in your life, let those be reminders that this is not your home. This is how you have David's response. Go ahead and groan, but groan looking forward to your future glorification. You look forward to when the trials of this body are swallowed up with, with life. Recognize that the opportunity to rightly inform your body that what we're experiencing are pangs of yearning of the flesh for our God. Teach your heart that the reason I suffer in life is to point me to God. Help me yearn and thirst for God, my God. Help me to have the faith we see in David. And let me give you some hope in the next few verses as well. David's yearning and his seeking it doesn't actually just stop with a desire for God, a yearning for God. David's passionate pursuit of God, David's thirst for God, it manifests itself in his worship of God. A passionate pursuit of God results in a thirst for God in your worship. So I'm going to read starting in verse 2, but I want you to notice the body parts that are described in David's worship. Verse 2, Thus I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will laud you. Thus I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with fatness and richness. And my mouth offers praises with lips of joyful songs. So two things I want you to notice in these verses. Verse 1, David's flesh yearned for God. But the second thing is that it's actually David's flesh, his body, that we see being used by David in his worship of God. In verse 2, I have beheld you to see you and to see your glory and power. Verse 3, my lips will laud you. Verse 4, I will lift my hands. Verse 5, my mouth offers praise. My lips sing. So the very flesh that is yearning for God is the flesh that is used in the worship of God. So all eyes up here for a moment, for a moment if you don't mind. This is profound. The very flesh that in the trials is yearning for release and yearning for God is the very body and flesh that David uses to praise and worship God. The body that is suffering, it gets no reprieve from worshiping God. 
but actually the body that is suffering, it is primed for worship of God. When you suffer, you have two choices. You can either worship self, cling to yourself, respond in sinful self-indulgence, responding in sinful self-pity, or you can worship God, clinging to God in and through your trial. Respond by longing for God. God is the one. He will give you a new tent. But today, in your decaying body, worship and praise God in the midst of your trial. I exhort you, follow the example you see in David. Worship God in and through your trials. Do not rob glory from God. Do not rob him of the praise and the worship that is due him, even in the midst of your trials. And notice two more things, amazing points about these same passage. Notice in verse 1 that David's soul thirsts for God. But look in verse 5. David's soul is satisfied. No, correction. His soul is not satisfied. His soul is greatly satisfied. Verse 5, my soul is satisfied as with fatness and richness. As with fatness and richness. The, the fatness, this is the most flavorful part of the meat. And actually in the law... The fat was actually reserved for Yahweh alone in the sacrifices. I mean, think of a nicely marbled steak versus a skinless chicken breast. I mean, do we really think that we can compare the two? We know this is not the case. I mean, this is Texas. Fatness is goodness. The richness, this is the food that you would find at a great and abundant feast. And it also sometimes is translated as fatness as well. And so God's provision and God's table is actually often described throughout Scripture as providing fatness and richness and satisfaction. And you see that in Job 36, in Psalm 36, Psalm 65, and many other places as well. So brothers and sisters, see this, but more than that, believe this, that the one who thirsts and seeks for God will be satisfied. And the reason you will be satisfied is not because of you, it will be because of the one for whom you thirst. David's worship is not based upon David's character, but David's worship is based upon God's character. David's worship is based upon God's name. Look at verse 2. David goes to the sanctuary to see God's power and glory. Verse 3. David, his lips laud God because God's loving kindness is better than life. 
Verse 4, David lifts up his hands in God's name to praise God's name. His fame, his power, his authority. And look at the first word in verse 4. It says, thus or so, depending on your translation. And this is the tie that shows that God's loving kindness that is better than life in verse 3 is actually to be the motivation and the method of blessing God and praising God with lifted hands. Thus, I will bless God and praise God with lifted hands. It's as a result of the loving kindness of God in my life. Your feelings do not drive your worship of God. God's character drives your worship of God. David's worship of God is not even based on some superhuman ability that he possesses. It's not based upon David's extra measure of godly grit or some force of faith willpower. David's worship, even while he is in a dry and weary land, is only based on a right understanding of who God is and what he has done. Understanding God's power evokes worship. Understanding his glory evokes worship. Understanding God's loving kindness evokes worship. It is David's proper and sound theology of God that draws him to worship. And when in a miserable and dry trial in life, David is still able to worship God. If we were to listen to this psalm arranged by an orchestra today, this point, verse 5, is where we would say this transition happened in the music. You almost have verse 1, these minor mellow chords that crescendo in verse 2 through 4 as the praising the loving kindness of God. But then you get to verse 5, and here the key changes. It explodes in this musical climax and majesty, and he says, My soul is satisfied with fatness and richness. My mouth offers praises and my lips of joyful song. This very soul that thirsts for God is satisfied and God is praised. This is David in the wilderness when God is his God. But know this, you must see this in the text. David's satisfaction does not start when he has the trial in the wilderness. What is the verb tense that you see with the thirsting and the yearning in verse 1? Listen, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. That's present tense. It is happening right now. But what do you see in verse 2? Thus, I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. This is past tense. I have beheld you. David's thirsting for God is happening while he is pinning these words. 
He is in the wilderness, but David's worship of God has already occurred. In the Hebrew, the worship has already been completed. And David is saying, currently, I thirst for you, but previously, I beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. David began his life long before, began his life of worship long before he was ever in the wilderness. David prepared for this trial long before the trial ever came. When David was in the palace, when David was satisfying his hunger with the richest of foods, when David was being served by an army of servants, and when he was drinking deeply of sweet wine, and when David's life was wonderful, that is when David was in the sanctuary beholding God. David was at the tabernacle. David was before God's presence in worship when his life was wonderful. And why was he at the tabernacle? Verse 2 tells us, it says, I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. David's purpose for coming to the sanctuary, it was not because it was socially expected for the king to be there. It was not because he needed to ask something from God. It wasn't to assuage some type of inner guilt, and it wasn't because he had spent a week without thinking of God and needed some catch-up, and it definitely was not because he wanted his best life now. The reason David came to the sanctuary, to the house of worship, the reason David came to the house of God was to see God's power and glory. Now, let me ask you a question. This morning, why did you come to this house of worship? Did you come to see God? Or was it for some lesser reason? David says, Oh God, my God, in this parched land, I seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. But the reason I thirst and yearn for you is because I have first sought you and seen you and celebrated you and worshipped you in your house, in your sanctuary. And as a matter of fact, in, in the Hebrew, the word structure says the way in which he attended the sanctuary to seek God actually mirrors the thirsting and the yearning that he has today just described in verse 1. So to put this in today's context, you could say the manner in which David went to church when life was good was the same manner that David thirsts and yearns for God when life is hard today. The reason you thirst for God in your personal dry and weary land is because you have first thirsted and yearned for God in your personal worship. 
that warrants being said again. The reason you thirst and yearn for God in your dry and weary land is because you have first thirsted and yearned for God in your daily, regular life of worship. Do you desire to thirst and yearn for God even in life's trials? Start by thirsting and yearning for God in your normal, daily, regular, and early time of worship. Seek Him in His Word. Seek Him on your knees. A passionate worship and pursuit of God It directs all aspects of your life in all circumstances. Times of sorrow, but also times of joy. So we saw that the first life trait present in a passionate pursuit of God is that you thirst for God in your worship. But second, cling to God in your weakness. And these next three verses, listen for David's recognition of his weakness and his need. In verse six, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings for you. Your right hand upholds me. And even though David wrote in Psalm 4, that in peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety, there still are clearly times when David is unable to sleep. And when those times arrive, what do you think is on David's mind? It might be worry or anxiety, stress, what-ifs, his comfort or discomfort that he's feeling physically. It's, It's probably the same thing that you and I struggle with when we can't sleep. But you don't see David turning to his phone to scroll through mind-numbing posts and memes. Notice how the man after God's own heart responds. When David is unable to sleep, he says, I remember you on my bed. I meditate on you in the night watches. And we know from other passages, such as Psalm 77, where it describes that he remembers and thinks upon and muses on and meditates on. But that passage, what it says that he does is he remembers and meditates on the deeds of God, the wonders of old, all of God's works, and then all of your deeds. This is why it is so important to memorize Scripture. When you are on your bed and your mind is tired, you need to have it there to pull up and go through and rehearse and meditate on. And look again at verse 7, where it says, In the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. So where does David sing? In the shadow of your wings. So what is this? You know, I mean, is this like a, a reference or an image of like a mother hen who's protecting her chicks? Well, if you look actually just back one page at Psalm 61, verse 3, this actually tells us what he's referencing. 61.3 says, For you have been a refuge to me, a tower of strength before the enemy. 
very familiar with what he's saying right now. Let me sojourn in your tent, in your tabernacle forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. And you see the same thing in Psalm 17 and Psalm 36 and other places. Yahweh's wings provide shelter in his tabernacle. So this is clearly a reference to the cherubim who are on the Ark of the Covenant with their wings stretched forward over the mercy seat where God himself dwells among his people. This is a reference to David singing for joy before God's tabernacle in the dwelling place of God. So what is David's reason for spending so much time at the tabernacle in the sanctuary of God. And he tells us in verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And this clinging, this, this is the same word where Ruth clung to Naomi and would not leave her. David must cling to God because God is the one who upholds him. He says, your right hand upholds me. David must cling to the only hope he has. Where else can he go but to God? Where else can you go but to God? Brother and sister, cling to God in your weakness. If you are his, he is upholding you with his right hand. Just as Jesus said in John 10, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, ever, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. And the Father, who is greater than all, no one is able to snatch them out of his hands. You cannot, you must not trust in and cling to anything or anyone else. You must say, oh God, you are my God. You must think on the mighty acts and the deeds of God. And when anxiety creeps in at night, you must remember and meditate not on your condition, not on your feelings or your emotions. You must meditate on and cling to God. All else will be clinging to that which cannot hold and cannot save. Would you have a life of passionate pursuit of God? Thirst for God in your worship. Cling to God in your weakness. And lastly, trust in God in your waiting. Read with me in verse 9. He says, But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a portion for foxes, but the king will be glad in God. Everyone who swears by him will boast, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be closed. Those who seek my life to destroy it So uh, you could ask, what is the it pointing to? And there's actually um, several good scholars who say that, that this is pointing back on the wicked themselves. That those who seek my life 
are seeking to destroy themselves, or you could say they are seeking my own life to their own destruction. And the depths of the earth, where David's oppressors will go, refers to Sheol. This is both the physical death, but it's also the future judgment and the torment of the wicked that is after death. So what is David doing in these last set of verses? He is rehearsing the truths that he knows of what is to come. He is singing of the end times. He's preaching to his own heart the eschatological truths of what you and I read in Revelation 20 and 21. That God wins. The guilty will be judged. The righteous king, David, he will be glad in God. And not just David, but all those who swear by God will boast in God. Now we ultimately find a few chapters later from 2 Samuel, chapter 18 and 19, Absalom dies. The revolt is is put down. But in verse 5 of 19, it says, David wrapped his face up. Then the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. He actually mourned Absalom to the point that his advisors and servants rebuked him. David is crying out in grief over his slain, unbelieving son who had no fear of God in his life. And this is a stark contrast. When David's infant died, And after the infant died, he no longer mourned. In 2 Samuel 12, we actually read that David says, but now he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David recognizes that he would one day go to see his infant son, but Absalom, his unbelieving son, who was destined for God's eternal punishment, David believed, David knew that this wicked son of his was one of those who rejected God as their God. He said they will go into the depths of the earth and be judged by God. But David knew that everyone who swears by him will boast or exalt or praise, or rejoice, or cheer, that those who have Elohim as their God will not face the great white throne of judgment. God's Son, the promised Savior, Jesus Christ, bore God's wrath and judgment on that cross. And on that last day, those who have Elohim as their God those who swear by him will praise and exult and rejoice in God. David knows this time of exaltation is not yet here for him, but he knows it is true. Look at the certainty that David has in these verses, the certainty of the verbs that he uses. He doesn't say that this may happen. He says it will He says, those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered to the power of the sword. They will be apportioned for foxes, but the king will be glad in God. Everyone who swears by him will boast. 
For the mouths of those who speak lies will be closed. David has an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not yet seen. And this Hebrews 11 faith that he has, this is David's faith. It's faith in God, his God. And while David is waiting for God to bring about the culmination of the end, David is in faith, trusting and waiting on God. Would you have a passionate pursuit of God? Then trust in God in your waiting. Waiting for God to bring about his promised deliverance. Waiting for God's ultimate redemption of his people. Trust in God. Now, I know that there are people sitting in these pews and sitting in the chairs today that would say, what we have read and looked at today is so foreign. I know the dry and weary land. I know the trials. I'm currently in a dry and weary land, but I don't thirst for God. I don't cling to God in my weakness. I cling to anything else but Christ. My thirst is for my physical relief, my emotional relief. It's not for God. I definitely don't look forward to Christ's return. That's the farthest thing from my mind. There may be a very good reason that this does not resonate with your heart. In the passage we read, of John 10, Jesus said, but you do not believe because you are not one of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish ever and no one will snatch them out of my hands. And the father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. I and the father are one. Is God your God? Is the Lord your Lord? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? If David's life of passionate worship and pursuit of God, if it doesn't resonate with your life, if you do not know the Lord, hear his voice calling out to you today. Hear his words that are laid on the soil of your heart this morning and cry out to God that he may grant you that passionate pursuit of him where you thirst for God in your worship. You cling to God in your weakness. You trust in God in your waiting. Let us pray. Oh God, my God, we pray that you would move in the hearts today of those who do not know you. We pray that you would draw them into a passionate worship of you. We pray that your word be, would be working in each of our hearts this morning, shaping and conforming us to the image of your Son. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.